0: Uh, If you are new to our church, you might not know this, but twice a year, I preach a sermon that is based off of the life of some saint from the past of Christian history. Uh, It has been my tradition that on the Sunday following 4th of July, except for probably if 4th of July falls on a Saturday Sunday, I might do it that weekend, But the Sunday following 4th of July, I'm focusing on an American saint, so somebody who comes from our history here in the United States. Uh, And then on Reformation Sunday, or whatever's closest to Reformation Sunday, uh, we focus on somebody from elsewhere in the world. And so this morning is a very special morning that we're going to be looking at the life of Billy Graham, who passed away a couple of years ago, and understanding and looking at his life as an example for uh, all of us, as how we're to be as Christians now, I got this idea from another uh, pastor who would do this every year at a pastor's conference. And I really like the idea of looking at uh, Christians from the past and looking at their life. Because the kind of key verse for this entire kind of overarching series that we do twice a year or every year is from Hebrews 12. Since then, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us press on towards the goal right and so that's kind of a paraphrase but that's the idea that we have a cloud of witnesses who've become for us so let us come let us recognize what god's done in them and let us be spurred onward in the gospel for for god's glory in this world by their lives so this morning we have billy graham and one of the most phenomenal things about billy graham is he he was at his peak in the age of television. And so we can watch him himself preach this morning. So let's come now and worship by listening to a little bit of Billy Graham. You know, I, I think I'm a masochist because I don't know why I do this self to, just to myself every year um, or twice a year. The pastor who I stole this idea from had an entire year to prepare and then he spent an hour talking about the person's life and I have to like somehow boil it down into five minutes for you. So of course it's gonna contain a lot of shortfalls and really giving you an idea of Billy Graham's life. So I really recommend to you the two books I read or almost finished. I read completely his autobiography, Just As I Am. Uh, And this was a phenomenal book. I loved, loved, loved reading this book. Um, And there's great humility on the pages of this book. And if you don't know Billy Graham to be a humble man, Read this book. Uh, Really, really good book. And then also, I almost finished, and I will finish in probably a week or two here, another biography written by William Martin, a prophet with honor. Uh, If you didn't write those down or anything, just go on the YouTube and find this part and you can get those names again. But here's my attempt to kind of summarize who Billy Graham was. In 1918, on November 7th, William Franklin Graham Jr. was born on a farm close to Charlotte, North Carolina. He was the first child of dairy farmers, Morrow, his mother, and William, Sr. They would go on to have two daughters and another son. Though Billy was raised in a religious home, actually in a Presbyterian church, no less, by the time he was a teenager, Billy had no interest in God. That sounds pretty Presbyterian, too. His little brother recounts that he was interested in little other than cars and women. He was so worldly that the local youth group actually denied him membership. But then a man who worked on their farm, a farmhand that worked for his parents named Albert McMackin, invited Billy to go see an an evangelist, Mordecai Ham, who was a very popular evangelist of those days, who was coming through Charlotte. Billy had heard a lot about this evangelist and kind of his flair and speaking and how entertaining he was, and something made him really curious, and so he decided to go. Billy encountered the gospel in that meeting in a way for the first time that made sense to him, and he committed his life to God then and there at the age of 16. His life from that point on became bent to share the Word of God with others, for all the rest of his life. Once he finished high school, he began to attend Bob Jones College, but he later left feeling that his own beliefs about grace did not match what they were teaching. He said that they were too legalistic for him. Bob Jones Sr. told him this as he left that he would never amount to anything more than to be a poor country Baptist preacher somewhere in the sticks. Billy transferred to the Florida Bible Institute in 1937 and then later to Wheaton, right Billy? Got a good name too. (laughs) It was in Florida where he preached his first official sermon to a Baptist church. Billy was then ordained in 1939 by a group of Southern Baptist pastors, and he graduated from Wheaton in 1943. Graham then served as a pastor for a short time in Illinois, near Wheaton. And then a few years later, he, began, he became the youngest president of Northwestern Bible College in Minneapolis that they had ever had, and he served there for five years. During those years, he started his famous Crusades in 1947 in an event in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in which 6,000 people were in attendance. He called them the Crusades not in the ancient violent sense, but in, as a goal for himself to reach as many as he could get before him with the gospel and for the glory of God. After his short term as president of Northwestern, he sought to become a chaplain in the armed for- forces, but he actually got the mumps and it kept him from serving. After his health recovered, he was hired by Youth for Christ as a full-time evangelist, and then the rest was history. Billy's evangelistic ministry took off faster than anyone could imagine. There was something magnetic in the way that he shared the gospel. Soon he was preaching to thousands of people in packed stadiums around the country and around the world. Billy Graham became an icon of his day, In a world suffering from the aftermath of World War II and trying to make sense of it all, Billy brought a message of deep personal conviction and biblical strength about the forgiveness and grace of God. His preaching style was fiery, but if you watched his career at all, it softened over the years. Billy began showing up in difficult times and places. If a tragedy had fallen upon a town or a country, Billy and his wife would travel there and would meet with the locals and begin to coordinate aid through his organization. They created a type of ministry of presence and they comforted many just by showing up and listening. For Billy, these visits came about as a sense of brokenheartedness for the people who were going through such difficulty. He would listen to the people and hear what they were going through so that he could comfort them with his words And provide for their needs. Many people don't remember Billy for how progressive he was. Billy Graham was often boycotted by more fundamentalist Christians for maligning the gospel, but Billy saw the gospel demands on modern life and he could not shrink from calling culture out of darkness and into light. Billy was a staunch, staunch supporter of the civil rights movement. He worked alongside Martin Luther King Jr. and others to break down the racial dividing walls and secure equality for all. For Billy, it was not just a matter of law, but of heart. He saw a need for all to encounter the grace of God in their own humility and their own brokenness so that out of a transformation in their own heart, they could begin to see others the way that God had intended them to be seen. Billy pushed boundaries all over the place. He gave leadership roles to women, and he talked positively about the ministry women had all over the globe, even sometimes over men. He often talked later in life about the ministry of one of his daughters, who despite never having gone to college had so filled her heart with the Word of God that prominent men in the community that she was teaching a Bible study, a women's Bible study, would do anything that they could to finagle their way in to listen to his daughter and then tell Billy how much her teaching had changed their lives. Billy preached all over the world and to millions of people. He did this with no consideration of his own safety or image. In the height of the Cold War, when the Iron Curtain kept all Westerners out, Billy was invited into the Soviet Union to share the gospel and he went. He also preached the gospel in North Korea multiple times. Critics said that he was being used by the powers in those places to create propaganda which would bolster their own claims. But Billy didn't back down. He acknowledged that that was their motives, but that his motives, what, his motive was to only preach the gospel whenever he was called so that all may hear. When Billy died a couple years ago, the estimation, estimation of how many people he had been preaching to or who he had preached to over the years was 100 million individuals. The most prolific evangelist to ever live. Probably the best preacher of the 20th century or maybe even ever. His funeral was full of not only the most respected religious teachers of our time and leaders of our time, but prominent world leaders as well. He was a counsel to many presidents and other politicians. His legacy is one of radical obedience to God's call in his life and a great integrity to do all that he did with purity of heart. He often acknowledged publicly his own growth through the years and where he had felt that he had erred in the past, he said it out loud. While many, if not most, other popular pastors and evangelists fell and continued to fall to scandal and moral failure. Billy stood tall as a giant among God's people, and yet he would never believe that he was any more important than all of us sitting here today. Truly, Billy was a gift of God to America and to the world during a difficult time of healing, and his impact will be felt for centuries to come. Because Billy is so often not known as for his role in the civil rights movement, I chose a clip of uh, Billy talking about racism that will take us out of this little biography. As I thought about what scripture I would read for today, you guys can be seated. The only passage that seemed to make sense to me for Billy Graham was this passage from Romans. The scripture says, no one who believes in him will be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all and is generous to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how are they to call on the one in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in one of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim him? And how are they to proclaim him unless they are sent As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The word of the Lord. I'm going to try and preach a short sermon today (laughs) Um, because you don't need to hear me preach. Anything that I am as a preacher is owed all either directly or indirectly from Billy Graham. If you've heard my testimony before, you probably haven't heard the longer version. There's several moments in my life where I remember there being key connections and encounters with Christ that transformed me in a new way. I always remember believing, but my mom and I were part of a church in the early 90s that became very involved in promoting what was said to be Billy Graham's last crusade. No one expected him to go on preaching for another 10 years. This was in 94, 95. No one expected him to go on. And so it was supposed to be his last hurrah. He was going all around the world. And so people went from door to door and we handed out stickers and pamphlets and flyers. And I was in the youth ministry. And so I went and I did this too. I had stickers on all my binders at school. And I was excited about Billy Graham coming. And then on youth night, we went as a big group and we heard Billy preach. And it was the first time in my life that I heard the gospel, and I said to myself, I agree with everything he just said. Why have I never publicly professed that I agree with this stuff? And so I went forward, and I prayed with a counselor, and I committed to Christ. Now, that only lasted for about a year or so before I kind of backslid, as a teenager often does. But it was a significant moment in my life, not to say of when I became a Christian, but when I noticed and understood that a deeper commitment in my own life was necessary, and it was because of the preaching of Billy Graham. For years, for years, I listened to Billy's sermons, anywhere I could get them or find them, and I listened to preachers who were deeply influenced by Billy Graham's preaching. 100 million souls heard the gospel because of Billy Graham. 100 million. And yet, selfishly, the only one I really care about is me, right? (laughs) I heard the gospel preached by Billy. And in several different ways. I think you could look at that and the hundred million. Each of the hundred million would all probably look at it as I got to hear Billy preach the gospel. How many of you ever went to a Billy Graham event and heard Billy preach the gospel? A few of you. This is something I think we need to learn from Billy's life. Billy walked in a full and consistent mission. He not only provided for the needs of people that he knew were in need, he not only lived a life that was reflective of the gospel in everything he did, but he also did something that we Presbyterians, frankly, suck at. And that is, he preached the gospel out loud, wherever he went, to whoever he encountered. So many times in the Presbyterian church, I've heard excuses of why we don't do this. I'd rather see a sermon lived than preach. I'd rather see a sermon lived and preached because beautiful are the feet that bring good news. If you don't say why you're living the way you're living, no one will get it. We need to share the gospel with people. And before you use this excuse on me, before you say to me, but Chris, I'm no Billy Graham. I'm not called to preach to a hundred million. I'm not called to go and speak before thousands in arenas to share the gospel. I'm like Moses. I have a stutter. I can't even share that. Let me say to you one name, one name, one name that should change all that you think about that this morning, Albert McMackie. Did you hear me say it earlier? The man who invited Billy to come with him to hear Mordecai Ham. You never heard that name before this morning. You'll probably never hear it again. And yet he's responsible. He's responsible. A lowly farmhand who reached out to the son of his employers to bring him to an event. He's responsible for 100 million souls hearing the gospel. You may not be Billy Graham, but gosh darn it, you are Albert McMackey. Go, be beautiful feet in Dearborn, Michigan, in the whole world, preach the gospel. Let us come, let us stand. What are you gonna do with your time? How are you going to spend this short amount of time that you have in your life? I encourage you this morning, go and read more of Billy Graham's stuff. Read his books. Listen to his sermons. Be encouraged to live a life that witnesses to the gospel in every single way that you're capable of. You know, Billy said, one day you're going to hear that Billy Graham died. And he said, don't believe it. It's a lie. It's a lie because it's in the day that I die that I will finally be alive with God in Christ. May we live our lives with such great passion and faith in a living God who gives us life daily to be his witnesses here on earth. Amen.